Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, let's jump in. Uh, we're in this series called A Gentle Answer. This is part four of four. And our key text for this has been Proverbs 15, verse one. It's on the screen for you now. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And what we've said each week is that I think we've never been in greater need of this kind of wisdom in our society than we are in need for it now. And yet our capacity to actually live out this kind of wisdom perhaps is on the decline. So far um, for this series, uh, I have basically been like um, a helicopter parent. You know what helicopter parents are? They just hover over you constantly telling you what to do, what not to do. Don't go there. Go here. Say this. Don't say that. Oh, no, 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 no. Careful there. That's dangerous. Oh, yes, yes. Go over here. This is where you should be. And this is what I've been doing. Say, be gentle and careful on the internet and careful about how much news you watch. And let's be mindful and reasonable and gentle and thoughtful. And and so I have been a helicopter parent for these last three weeks in this series. I want you to know that today I'm kind of shifting gears from over-involved helicopter parent to exhausted and over-it parent who just wants their grown kids to get out of the basement. Just go. Go. Here's, here's what I want to say. Yes, the world is filled with animosity. It's so apparent. And yes, we have to build our defenses up against just all that icky, gnarly reality. But If we're going to be like, I don't know, joining God in the renewal of all things, then we're going to have to like get out there and go do something about the way things are. Read your verse. I love this one. Romans 12, 18. I love it because it's so reasonable. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like, hey guys, just live at peace with everybody. Well, it's not always possible for me to live. I know, if it's possible, live at peace with everybody. Well, you know, it's not always up to me. Sometimes they're just a jerk. I know, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's a reasonableness to this. We go, look, I get it. You can't always change everything. Some of you, maybe throughout the course of this series, have been wanting to push back on me a little bit because we keep saying, the Bible keeps saying, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And you go, you know what? I actually tried that. There was a wrathful person. I gave them a gentle answer and it didn't turn away their wrath. Like there are some people I've been gentle with for years and it still hasn't turned away their wrath. To one, I'd say this is not an absolute law. Instead, this is a principle to govern our lives for us to live by. And the scripture has its eyes open to that reality. If it's possible, it's not always possible. As far as it depends on you, it doesn't completely depend on you, but live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone as much as you can, as much as you can control it, control it and demonstrate it. And that's essentially what I've been saying the last three weeks. I've been saying, come on, people, now. Smile at your brother. Everybody get together and try to love one another right now, okay? Like, that's what we're saying. He's like, hey, 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 hey. All we're saying 
is give peace a chance, okay? Hey, hey, that's what we've been going. Today, a shift. Verse 18, I love the reasonableness. You can't control it. It's not an all depend on you, but you want to live at peace with everyone. Just a couple verses after that in verse 21, he says this, do not be overcome by evil, but on the other hand, overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil. Play some defense. Guard yourself. Protect yourself. Don't don't open your life to the sewer that is, you know, online, unrestricted online reality or the news or whatever. Yes, protect yourself. Play defense. But then he also adds, but not just there. Go overcome evil with good because you've got that. Play some offense. Play some offense. You know, with, with the kids, you know, I get kids and they're amazing and um, they're like, they're like the best kids, uh, but they're still little snots. And um, ever since they were little and had the capacity to talk, they had the capacity, even before they could talk, to argue with one another. And we'd always jump in. I don't like that, man. That's, I, don't, I don't stand for it. They'll tell you, man, I jump in. And ever since before they could even say the words, we've been teaching them this, this concept. Whenever there's conflict, you got to step in. He's like, somebody, one of the two of you, has to choose to be either a peacemaker or a problem solver. You want this to go away? One of you has to be a peacemaker or a problem solver, and it goes away. We're going to stand here and read the love chapter, which we actually do, until one of you chooses to be a peacemaker or a problem solver. And they're actually pretty good at it. I mean, I've been at them for like a decade on it, and they've gotten pretty good at it. And sometimes they don't do it, and then I, and I jump in sarcastically and call them peacetakers and problem causers. It's like, don't be peacetakers and problem causers, be peace, and I always get it mixed up in my mouth because it's a real tongue twister, and then I'd sound like an idiot, and that usually ends the conflict too because they just laugh and go, ha-ha, dad's an idiot, and then they move on. <laughs> Peacemakers and problem solvers, not peacetakers and problem causers. We gotta do something. Like, we have to engage the world. Yeah, the world is contentious and icky and fractious. And, but let's not like go full monk, get off the grid, shelter in place until Jesus comes back. Let's go do something about it. Let's tell you something profound that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5. We're going we're to think about this one for a second. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the true children of God. They're the ones that are called children of God peacemakers. Now, I'm just going to point out something really simple. I, I don't know how many years I was following Jesus before I, I acknowledged this really obvious right there black and white reality. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. There is a profound difference between the two. The peacekeepers are, hey, 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 hey. Hey, let's keep the peace. Peacemakers, that's an entirely different calling. And he goes, the true children of God, the true children of God, here's what they're going to do. They're going to look around and realize there's no point in keeping the peace because the peace has not been kept. It's gone. So what are the true children of God going to do? Well, they're going to go out and make some where it doesn't already exist. Go be peacemakers where there is no peace. So we're going to talk about how to do that. I'm going to throw out a couple of ways that we can um, hopefully get on offense and not just play defense on this. So Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read several verses here starting in verse 10. A final word. 
Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the enemy. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we're going to pause here and let that sink in. That person who loses their temper, that person who is livid, red-faced, veins popping, spit flying, that person who's acting poorly, not your enemy. They're not your enemy. They are not your enemy. Because you're not wrestling against people, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. We have to hold that in front of our minds and keep it there. The moment we lose sight of that, our capacity to be peacemakers goes away. Now, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'll pause here for now. Um, I just want to, there is unapologetic wartime mentality in this that goes, hey, um, like we're in a battle. So gear up. Uh, We're wrestling against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. That should have gotten your attention. And he goes, all right, you're going to want to gear up. And he talks about specific ways. There's a whole sermon series to be done here that we're not doing today, of course. But I just want to highlight one of the things here. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. The gospel of peace, as you might have heard it if you're a Sunday school rat. The gospel of peace, that's the shoes that you're going to wear. This reminded me of something I heard uh, Brene Brown say. You guys know who Brene Brown is? If you still have your friend's network pa- Netflix password, go check out Brene Brown. Um, she will give you all the feels. She's brilliant. Um, she doesn't uh, write or speak from a particularly Christian perspective, but has some tremendous and at times overtly Christian uh, input. Anyway, uh, she gives a proverb. I don't remember where she got it from. Some ancient culture. I don't know, Uh, but she said it. That's the best I can do to quote it. Um, But here's the proverb. There was a young man, and he looked out on the brokenness of the world and the contention and the ickiness, and he said, man, the whole world's just prickly. Like, there's no safe place to place your foot, because everywhere you go, there's a prickly reality that you have to step into. And he was bemoaning that fact, and he thought, I just wish I could cover the whole world in leather. And then wherever I stepped, wherever my foot went, it would land on something safe and something soft and something good. But that's just not the way the world is. And he's bemoaning the fact that he cannot cover the whole world in leather. And then he has this idea. I cannot cover. There's real practical logistical issues with covering the whole world in leather. But if I make some moccasins and wrap my own feet in leather, then everywhere my feet go can be soft and firm. 
I can do something about the prickly nature of the world by choosing not to enter into that myself, but to wrap my feet the way that I move in, that what guides and, and directs my steps is going to be, as Paul is saying here, the gospel of peace. I'm going to wrap my feet in the gospel of peace, and where I step, there can be peace, and where I go, there can be calm. So, um, two things here quickly from this text. One, just to remind you, remember who you're fighting against. You've got to keep it in front of you at all times. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and dark places. And number two, choose. This is hard. Choose a disposition that says, I have the gospel of peace. That means I have the peace of God. That means I have peace with God. That means I have peace within my soul. I know who I am because of Christ. I know where I'm going to be for all of eternity because of the mercy of God that's been given to me. I'm a child of God. I am who he says I am. We sang real loud about it a few minutes ago. I have the security in who I am as a child of God that is completely unlike Anyone who doesn't know Jesus can ever even fathom. And do you know what that means? And let this settle in. You're not fragile. You can be resilient. You, if your feet are, in the, are wrapped in the gospel of peace, you can turn the cheek. You can absorb some heat and some unkind words and not lose your ever-loving mind like most people do. My feet are wrapped in the gospel of peace. I can walk out into a prickly world and I'm going to be okay because I'm not so fragile. You're not so fragile if you know, if, big if, if you know who you are in Christ. I read a, whew, a really good book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Isn't that an evocative title? The Coddling of the American Mind. Brilliant. Not written from a Christian perspective. It's more talking about universities and some trends there. Um, and if you, by the way, politically lean, particularly left or particularly right, um, you'll be offended, both of you, at different points along the way. That's part of why I like it. And it's like, yeah, make everybody mad. I like it. That's not the general thrust of the series I'm teaching, so maybe I shouldn't say, great, make everybody mad. As much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with everyone. Let me just reiterate that. But this, uh, so it'll, it'll get you, you know, no matter which way you lean, it'll offend you. Um, but it has this simple, simple uh, number of simple, but one in particular profound thing where the authors, they get together and they go, you know what, what is this thing that has happened in our society and that we're teaching all the way from, from childhood and through university and beyond, we're teaching that if you and I disagree, like I have an opinion on a thing and you have a different opinion on a thing, what we're teaching society at large is that your differing in opinion is an attack against me. I have been harmed. I have been injured, not because you punched me, not because you took something from me, but because you disagreed with me about a thing. And they're going, what's that all about? To have a differing opinion is now tantamount to an attack? 
What sort of twisted worldview would create space for that? Now, we're going to understand. We're going to remember what Jesus said. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that our words are really powerful. If you call someone an idiot, you need to be held accountable to that. If you call someone a fool, you're subject to the danger of the fires of hell. So, like, our words really matter, and our words can be an attack. But what they're saying is just having a different opinion than I do on a thing is received as an attack upon that person. Thus, the coddling of the American mind, and thus, this increasingly fragile mentality. We move out into the world, and if you say one thing that doesn't set well with me, then I might be shattered. And you look around, and there's a lot of shattered people. To that, I would say, child of God, your feet are to be wrapped in the gospel of peace. You are who he says you are. You're a child of God. Your eternity is secure. So what if somebody doesn't agree with you? So what? So what if somebody doesn't agree with you? You're going to be okay. Like, for all of eternity, you're going to be way more than okay. You're going to be so okay. So what if they disagree? So what if they move beyond that and they say something horrible about you? And while that discourse just spirals completely out of control, if you're wearing the gospel of peace around your feet, you realize, I'm a child of God no matter what they say. I'm going to be okay. I'm not so fragile. Which brings me to the next right thing that we can do, and it is, is based on the same idea. Our identity is in Jesus alone. So what that means is we can enter into identity-based discussions and not be threatened. Not be threatened. I don't know if you've noticed this. But maybe you can think about it. There's a lot of nasty, ongoing conversations in our society. The nastiest, ugliest ones, think about it. They've been wrapped up in issues of identity. Oh, this isn't, it's not just politics, it's identity politics. And on and on we could go. And it's obvious why. If we can tie something that we disagree about, on, if we can tie that to our identity, to our very person, well, we've already established outrage sells. And if I can make an issue an identity issue, then I can get some people absolutely livid about it in no time at all. Especially if we swirl it in with this mentality that says disagreement is tantamount to a personal vicious attack. So increasingly issues get swirled in as identity issues, politics, race, gender, sexuality. They're not actually fundamental markers of identity, but they're being presented as fundamental markers of identity, and people are losing their minds discussing it. But as wise, healthy children of God, Jesus is our identity. Period. Period. If you're same-sex attracted, but you're a child of God, Jesus is your identity. If you're politically left or politically right, Jesus is your identity. And on and on we could go. And so when the state of the discourse spirals out of control, 
We can be then secure and kind and reasonable in discussions like that when others frankly can't. And that is the state of the discourse. And when that's the state of the discourse, let me remake a point I made earlier. It doesn't do much good to be peacekeepers because the peace has already been lost. We've got to have the courage, the self-control, the, the strength to enter the fray as peacemakers. And we can do it because we're not so fragile, because Christ defines us above anything else. We can be the beautiful exceptions. We can enter into the discussion and not be hysterical and not be histrionic. We can actually be peacemakers if and only if our identity is in Christ alone. All right, another idea. It's a simple idea. We're going to read a number of verses to get there, though. So uh, first, Galatians 6, 7 to 9. Paul, again, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, period. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature because that's what they planted. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, verse 9, let the Word of God encourage you. So, Let's not get tired of doing what is good because, and hear it, some of you need to hear it, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if, if we don't give up. Again, Paul, is he's just being so pastoral and kind in this text. Do you hear him? Just going, hey, all right. Don't be naive. You're going to reap what you sow. And, you know, good seeds will bring about good fruit and bad seeds, bad fruit. And I know you've been working real hard to sling lots of good seeds. And I know that's hard work. And the frustrating thing is it doesn't always happen overnight, you know. That's the thing. You, you, you release a seed into the ground and we have no idea how long it's going to be there before it germinates. And the miracle, the farmer knows not how, germinates and life comes from it. Because it doesn't happen overnight and it gets tiring. And all you can do is throw the seed and there's a miracle of God that has to happen. And all you can do is throw the seed. But here's just trust it. Stay at it. Keep slinging the seed everywhere you go. And it'll work. It'll work. You might get to actually reap the harvest. It might be somebody else. But this is a universal principle. It'll work. A couple more verses. James chapter 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first of all, pure, period. So let me just hit pause real, real quick. The wisdom from above, theoretically, we want that. I hope you do. The wisdom from, from above is, first of all, pure. So we're talking about being peacemakers. We think, hey, you know, you give a little, I'll give a little, okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all be reasonable and we give a little and you give a little, but don't give a little based on what the Bible says is true and what it says is untrue. Um, don't, as you give a little and I give a little, don't then say something is right that the Bible calls wrong or something wrong that the Bible calls right. Don't compromise. That's not how you make peace. First of all, it's pure. First of all, you stand on the foundation of Scripture, the truth that you know as a child of God first. First of all, pure. It's not just pure. It goes on. It's also peace-loving. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Not compromising, but willing to yield. 
to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. Verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. You might think of a relationship that's been broken or the disposition of somebody you love and they've been angry and you think, man, I am, I've been slinging seeds until I think my arm's going to fall off. And the word of the Lord would say, those who are peacemakers, they'll plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. Sometimes it takes forever and you can't force it, but it works. Maybe you're one of those folks who've been thinking, you know what? A gentle answer doesn't always turn away wrath. You're right. I know it doesn't always turn, but keep slinging those seeds of peace and eventually it will bring a harvest of peace. Here's the thing we've been talking about, and it's, I think it's really obvious, how contagious outrage is. Anger just spreads, right? One angry person goes online with a furrowed brow and they're just spreading their virus of hate and anger. And then, then the algorithms take over. We talked about that, you know, and they silence the good stuff and they amplify the bad stuff. And now one angry person with a furrowed brow has started a digital super spreader event, right? Because outrage is really contagious. Here's the thing, though. That's all true. It's true. Here's the thing, though. Kindness is contagious, too. It is. It's alluring. It woos. <laughs> it, it's not, it's, it's in a very different way. It's not pushy or demanding or loud like outrage is. Like outrage is. But it, it does, it catches on. Because the thing about outrage, and we've said this, is it's just completely exhausting. You just, it's exhausting. People can't keep doing it. Eventually your adrenals get all worn out. It's so depleting, living life in all caps, all the time, and people burn out. And when they do, they start looking for something reasonable, something peaceable, something kind. And when they do, there you will be, where you have always been, just slinging seeds of peace kindness, of reasonableness, of good news. Again, verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Dave, come on up, help us out. I said Dave. Don't call him Dave. His name's David. I don't know why I did that. Hey, Dave. Uh, We've talked about this. Lots of people get infatuated with their rage, you know, They use it. It does something for them. They come to love their own anger. Guys, it's not sustainable. It's not. It breaks down. And the way of Jesus, over time, on display through you, will make for fertile soil, and it will take root, even in the most frustratingly... As we've said along the way, you might remember this. I won't re-preach the sermon. I'm telling that to myself. I'm giving myself a pep talk. Don't re-preach another sermon. But kindness is torque. Torque is when you, when you like need to loosen a jar, you need lots of torque. It's what gets something that won't move to move. And kindness is torque. The unmovable, the stubborn, the determined, the entrenched kindness. 
is torque. Guys, we're not just going to hide away and wait this thing out. We're going to do something about it. We're like kind of here to change the world, folks. So we're going to sow seeds of peace everywhere we go. It's going to be beautiful. And eventually it's going to bear some fruit. Don't come away from this series thinking that you're supposed to escape the mess and get out of it. No. Put on the gospel of peace and get into it. Step into the fray, secure, confident in Christ, slow to anger, reasonable, ready to listen, patient, kind. Avoidance is not a spiritual gift. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. And to state the obvious one more time, look around, the peace has not been kept. And so true children of God have to go make it where it doesn't exist. We create it. We make peace. Uh, one more thing I'll say here before we wrap up. And uh, this is sort of a recurring illustration around here. It's because it, it gets in my head and I can't let go of it and keep finding sermons it belongs in. So here we go. You've probably heard it before. But for every person, when they walk into any situation, be it a classroom or a boardroom or an online forum or a dinner with friends, you walk into that environment with a little box that you carry, a little metaphorical box you take with you everywhere you go. And inside that box are your hopes and your fears, your dreams and your nightmares. And when you step into that environment, wherever it is, you're around other people, digitally or in person, either way, you think, chances are, almost obsessively about what's in your box. What do I want from this encounter? What do I hope will happen from this meal that we share or this dialogue that we engage in? What am I afraid will happen? What's my nightmare about how this could go? What's my dream about how beautiful it could be? And here's what we do. We take our box, we step into that environment, we open our box, and we work exclusively from our box. Trying to make the things we want to happen happen, trying to stop the things we don't want to happen from happening. Now, there's this beautiful thing that children of God alone have the capacity to do. They can, by choice, takes intentionality, it's not a default setting. You can step into that space and make a choice to set your box down and not be fixated from start to finish with what you want or don't want, what you hope for or what you fear. And instead shift your focus to what's in their box. What's in their box? What are they hoping will happen? What are they afraid will happen? How can I protect them from that? How can I serve them to bring them into the good things they're hoping for? How can I be a servant to them? And if you can do that with your feet wrapped in the gospel of peace, you can be an actual peace maker. An actual peace maker. And then here's this beautiful thing that happens. You try this a couple times, you'll find out it's really hard. 
Because every, every two seconds, you want to pick up your own box. But what about me? And pick up your own box. And what about me? And pick up your own box. And what about me? But if you can just out of sheer effort and discipline, if you can just leave the box down and work out of other people's boxes, then here's what you find out. It is so gratifying and life-giving to serve the people around you by working out of their box. Not just for them, but for you too. You do that enough, then after time, what's in your box starts to change. And you actually want to be a servant. It becomes a default setting. I'm going to just tell you this now in love, and I don't want to turn this into a some black and white, hard and fast. I'm not trying to turn the screws on anybody. I'm just going to tell you what I think. You, I think you don't have a shot in the world of actually doing that unless you're walking closely every day with Jesus. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. Unless you are daily and even hourly formed into the image of Christ, shaped to have his mind and his heart to see the world through his eyes. But man, if every day you walk with the Lord, he shapes, he forms, he moves through your discipline and your devotion, he transforms who you are. And man, we got some peacemakers. Peacemakers change the world. Peacemakers are joining God in the renewal of all things. All right, we're going to have Selah. We do this every week. I'm going to take a moment to pray. I'll get us started, and then I'll be still for a moment, give you space to pray on your own. Lord Jesus, please move in our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, please come and help us to see what perhaps we can't. As we consider now, Lord, what really is in our mind when we go into a place, when we step into a meeting or a forum or a dinner. We really do tend to be focused on ourselves, what's in our box. Lord, would you challenge us now? I, I just pray, Lord, that we would be captured, not with so much conviction, but just stunned by the beauty of what it would look like if we all went and did that and worked out of other people's boxes and looked to serve. And it's just transforming. It's powerful. It could be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, but creators of something that wasn't there. We can make peace. Challenge us, Lord. If the truth is, we tend to be really self-focused, challenge us in that regard. If the truth is, we just don't have the type of daily devotion that gives us the strength to carry that out. We want to have the fruit of the Spirit. You make it so clear that the way we have the fruit of the Spirit is to keep in step with the Spirit. And if we're not in step with the Spirit, we don't have a shot at this one. So, but Lord, if that's where you need the challenges, Lord, we want to be still and receive from you. Thank you, Lord. And take a moment on your own.